Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. everybody. Um, as you may have heard, my name is James, and I am very pleased to be with you here. And uh, have you ever felt a little out of control? Have you ever felt that your life is a little bit out of control? Um, I just felt that just now as I saw my toddler walk up to me uh, five seconds before I'm supposed to preach and say, where's mom? I'm like, and she's right there, and there's Joel, and it's all good. But it's that out of control feeling. You know, last night I had the privilege of uh, going to my uncle and my aunt's uh, 60th, actually 61st wedding anniversary dinner. 61 years. Just a, a, an extraordinary thing. It was in Newestminster at a restaurant there. Uh, but one thing that really struck me was uh, my uncle John was uh, always a guy who was just like the life of the party. Not a big guy, but a huge personality, so welcoming, uh, so friendly, so full of uh, joy and love and faith. And, you know, seeing him now, um, he's been struck by dementia, and probably many of you are familiar with what that can do. He's he's just not the same person, you know? Um, He kind of feels... uh, you know, he, I, I could see him sitting at the table, and he, he had kind of a dazed look about him, and he wasn't really sure what was going on, and he was, you know, in, in, in a little bit of distress, you know, and it was so difficult to see that. And, you know, I, I, I saw that, and I thought to myself, you know, out of control. There's something there that we can't control. And maybe you've kind of felt that in your own life. You know, things happen to you that are out of your control. Uh, on Tuesday, when we got the news uh, that uh, Terry and Wendy couldn't come because of uh, some issues, again, just that sense of, wow, out of control, you know, like things happen. Things happen to us, church, that are out of our control. Amen? And what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Is there a way for us to get control? Is there, is there a way for us to... To, to, to kind of feel at peace with not having control, with being out of control. That's what we're going to explore today. And I want to uh, turn in our Bibles or phones, or you can just look at the screen, to Acts chapter 14, verses 1 to 7. We're going to read this a little bit. It's about um, some guys from the early church, Paul and Barnabas, who are going on a bit of a tour of the Roman Empire, telling people about Jesus, just going to, 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 to different towns in modern-day Turkey, and they are just preaching. They're kind of doing what I'm doing right now, but without the magnification, um, amplification rather, they're just preaching about Jesus. But before we look at that, I would love it if we could just pray together. So dear God, we just thank you that we get to be here today. Thank you, Father, for these baptisms. Thank you for the faith on display. Thank you, Father, for your goodness on display in the lives of Hannah and Ollie, Lord. And Lord God, we just uh, praise you for that. We thank you, Lord God, that... uh, yeah, your work is still ongoing. Um, you are still moving today. You are still alive today. You're still working in people's lives today. Your love is for us today, Father. And I just pray that you would reveal your love to us today. Amen. All right. So it says, uh, Acts 14, verse 1 to 7, it says, Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. And to just kind of locate this, um, we have a little bit of a map. 
This is a map of the Roman province of Galatia, modern-day Turkey. So Paul and Barnabas, who are the two um, Christian preachers here, they started in Antioch in Syria at the bottom right. They went down to Cyprus, then they went up to Perga, and then they went up to this place called Antioch in Pisidia. And then they went to where we are now, a place called Iconium. And interestingly, Iconium still exists today. It's called Konya. It's a city of about a million people, and it's still a prominent city. Isn't that amazing? A city that was a prominent city 2,000 years ago is still a prominent city today. I just thought that was kind of cool. Continuing at verse 3. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. And if you were with us last week, um, you would have heard the story of what had happened in Antioch before. And it's a very similar story. These two Jewish guys, Paul and Barnabas, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ um, as the Messiah, as the Savior, uh, they are in this city called Antioch, and they start in the synagogue, and they preach about Jesus. And many people believe, but many people don't believe. And eventually, uh, there is an opposition. There is a conflict. And... Um, when the conflict, but they don't mind, they, they keep on preaching about Jesus, but eventually the conflict and the opposition gets so bad that their lives are threatened, and they kind of think, okay, well, maybe now is the time to leave town. But they don't just go home, no, they go on to the next town. And here in the next town, it happens again. And don't you think maybe they had a bit of a feeling of their lives being out of their control? They're, they're just doing what they've been called to do, and at some point, they're like, I guess we can't do what we planned anymore. Now we got to go and they go to do the next thing. The sense of being out of control is not a new thing to the apostles. It's not a new thing to disciples. It's not a new thing to followers of Jesus Christ. It's true for every follower of Jesus Christ, just as it's true for everybody on earth. This reality of being out of control. Now, I want to just focus on a small part of our passage in verse 3. It says, They remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace. And I just want to look at that phrase, the word of his grace. And the first thing I want to look at in the word of his grace, I want to look at the word. What does it mean, the word of his grace? And what it means, at least in part, is that there's a content to this. You know, this whole belief in Jesus Christ, there's a content to it. There's, there's a word. It's a specific thing. It, it's a specific belief in something. And that may seem obvious, but I, I, I just want to point out that it's not so much belonging to a community, although there, that is a big part of it. It's, it's not so much feeling a certain way, although that feelings are a part of it. It's believing in something, believing in something specific. So looking at Acts 13, verse 38 and 39, this is what Paul preached in Antioch, the, the town he was in before. And I suspect he preached something very similar when he was in Iconium. And he said this, he said, Brothers, listen, 
We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God. There it is. There's the core message that Paul is proclaiming. In Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins, and everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do, something our own efforts could never do. I want to just turn quickly to Romans 3, where Paul unpacks this just a little bit more. Romans 3, verse 22 to 25, this is what he says. Paul says, okay, who are the Romans? People who live in Rome. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome where he really broke down the essentials of the Christian faith, and that's what we're reading here. He says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is such an important phrase. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, a person. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from our penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And that's the content. That's what they're preaching. And that's what, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we become Christians, when we get baptized, that's what we're signing on to. They're signing on to, man, we've all sinned. We've all done bad, we've all done wrong, we've all fallen short of the holy God, but in Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus has done, dying for us, he dies so that we have life. He takes our sins upon himself so that we are righteous without sin. That's what it says here, God declares us righteous. And more than that, God makes us righteous. There's a declaration where he says, you're righteous, you're mine, it's over. You don't have to worry anymore. And there's also a process that we then go through whether he's, where he's making us righteous by his Holy Spirit, where we're changing. So that's the content of the message. It's a word. And I want to look at Romans 10, 17. And it says this. It says, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. So there's something supernatural that happens when this message of Jesus Christ is preached. It happened when Paul and Barnabas preached it in Iconium. Many people came to faith. Many people came to believe. The Holy Spirit did something in their hearts and in their minds. And that can happen here today. That is happening here today. The Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the word, is moving in our hearts, and he's changing us. So it's a word. And, but it's not a, just a spoken word. It's the word of God. It's the word that creates. It's the word that changes. It's the word that changes our hearts, that draws us to him, that makes us holy, that saves us. It's the word. But, and it's the word of his grace. So whose grace is that? Yeah, it's God's grace. And it's also the grace of Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. 
the word of his grace. And I want to look at John 14, verse 6. So John is one of the books that was written uh, by one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus had 12 disciples who went around with him. Some of them wrote down what they saw, and John was one of those. And, and John just wrote down this simple sentence. It's this, Jesus speaking to his disciples, specifically to his disciple Thomas. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, through Jesus. So it's a very kind of exclusive thing. What Jesus is saying here is that no one can come to the Father. No one can be made holy except through me, through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the gateway. There is no other way. It's only Jesus. It's not Jesus for some people, but if you were born in like Africa, then it's something else. No, it's for the whole world. We come to the Father only by Jesus. And this is a difficult word for our culture. And so we need to dwell on it. We just need to sit on it a little, uh, just a little bit. It's only through Jesus that we can receive this love and this acceptance from the Father. It's only through Jesus that we can be made righteous. It's only through Jesus that we can be made whole. The whole thing comes to a point in Jesus Christ. It's only through him. It's only through Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the life. And this is something that the um, disciples of Jesus actively preached. There was a situation uh, when Peter and John were preaching in the temple in Jerusalem. And they, were, they, they, they did an amazing act, or God did an amazing act through them, that they healed somebody. There was like a, uh, I believe, a lame man. He was a beggar. And they pulled him to his feet and healed him in an instant. Just an extraordinary act of the power of God. And people gathered around them, and they started preaching to them, uh, just kind of what I've been saying about how Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. And uh, that caught the attention of the authorities, and they were hauled before the council and um, kind of threatened. They told them to stop uh, preaching in the name of Jesus. And this is what they said. This is what Peter says to the council. He says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. There is about as clear a statement as you can find. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So it's not the name of a Muhammad or an Allah. It's not the name of Buddha. It's the name of Jesus. It's not the name of Moses. It's the name of Jesus. 
So not the name of democratic socialism or whatever philosophy you might attach yourself to. It's the name of Jesus. And hear this, everybody here. It's not your name. It's not your name. It's not in you. If you just find yourself and be your best self, that's not enough. I am not enough. You are not enough. Okay? We are not enough. It's only in Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven by which we may be saved. So if you actualize yourself and if you become the best version of yourself, it's not enough. We can't do this. We can't do this. We can't do this. Only in Jesus' name may we be saved. And it's the word of his grace. It's the word of his grace. And what does grace mean? Well, at its simplest, grace is simply a gift. This word about Jesus bringing us salvation, it's a word of grace. It's a word of gift. Salvation is a gift from God that we receive and we enjoy. There's really nothing we can do beyond receive it and enjoy it. We can't go and get it. Like I said, it's not in us. It's in him. He needs to give it to us. And the good news is that God wants to give it to us. He wants, it, he wants to give it to everybody here. There is nobody here and there's nobody outside these walls that God will turn away if they come to him and say, God, help me. Amen. I want to read something from Ephesians chapter 2. This is Paul again. Kind of majoring on Paul today, but why not? Let's be consistent. Oh, I suppose we had a bit of John. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, and this is what it says. It says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin. So Paul is speaking to Christians here at the church in Ephesus, also in Turkey, but in a different region. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. So we won't really get into this very much today, but just to note, there are dark spiritual forces. There is an enemy of the people of God. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. But hear this. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. This is the love we've been hearing about today, that Grace talked about, that we sang about. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. There's that gift. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Note how the gifts is attached to Christ. Note how the gift is Christ. There is no other name by which we may be saved. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So grace is a gift that we cannot earn. And I just want to underline that. It's a gift. If you try and pay somebody for a gift, that's kind of insulting. We can't pay God back. We can only gratefully accept 
what he's given us. Now, I, I, I just wanted to kind of underline something today. I, I, I want to underline because I don't want anybody to come away from this morning kind of thinking, okay, God loves me a, 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 so much, and basically I'm, I'm fine, I'm okay. I read a, a best-selling Christian book that shall go nameless um, a few years ago, and what it basically said was, you know, God's got a picture of you uh, on his bedside table, as it were, it's a metaphor, and, you know, and the implication of it is that, you know, you're great, you're fine, you know, but is that what we see here? Let me ask you a question. If we're actually just basically fine, we're basically okay, and God really loves us, we're going to be fine. If that was true, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus have to die? If it's true that, you know, we're, we're all as human beings just kind of basically fine, um, we just got to, you know, we're doing our best and that's fine. I've come across this before. People are actually, they're sort of an outrage. People say, look, I'm doing my best. Why isn't that good enough? And the implication is that I'm basically a decent person. You know, there's a few things that need to be ironed out, like all of us have our little issues, but I'm basically okay. That's the implication. And that's just not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say you're basically okay. The Bible says, and you were dead in your sins. What the Bible says is not that we're all basically okay, but that you were dead. Paul and Barnabas did not go walking around the Roman Empire having mobs form, trying to kill them, preaching the message of, you know what, you guys are basically okay. Maybe dial back the adultery and the oppressing the poor a little bit, but basically you're fine. That's not what it is, guys. We were dead. And I don't want you to leave here today if you don't know Jesus Christ. I don't want you to leave just kind of thinking, hey, I'm fine. You're not fine. The Bible says you're dead. And this is not me being superior to you at all. What it, I got a gift. I did nothing. I received a gift. And that gift is for you here today as well. The gift of Jesus Christ and salvation in his name. And we all need it. We're all the same. We're all dead until we meet Jesus. So, and just to bring this thing for a landing here, so what do we do with that? Well, what we need to do is we need to embrace our death and follow Jesus. Loved what Ollie said here today and Hannah, they're going to follow Jesus. Yeah, that's what, the, that's what the Bible says we need to do. We need to embrace our death and follow Jesus. Baptism is a picture of many things. One of the things that it is a picture of is a picture of death. You die. You go down under the water, you die. You come back up, new life, wash clean. Baptism is a picture of death. We need to embrace our death and follow Jesus. And that sounds really kind of negative and weird. Um, but I'm going to try and prove to you that Jesus himself was kind of negative and weird. Well, he could be. You know, if you come at life from the, from the perspective that I'm basically okay, then Jesus and Christians are going to seem kind of negative and weird. Yeah? Yeah. But if it's true, it's not negative and weird. It's incredibly good news. So this is what Jesus says. Jesus said to his disciples, 
If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, that's the death part, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Embrace your death and follow Jesus. Can we have that picture up again? The one on the graveyard? Yeah. Why is there a cross there? You ever wonder that? You, you ever see graveyards and there's a bunch of crosses? Why? Did they all die on a cross? Nope, none of them did. Why are there crosses in graveyards? That's because Jesus has transformed our understanding of what the cross is. The cross used to be the preeminent symbol of death in the Roman Empire. That's what the cross meant. It meant a brutal, gory death. The cross today means life. That cross in that graveyard is a promise, or it's belief in a promise. It's a belief in the promise of life. That person who died there is saying, Jesus is going to raise me to life again. It's a promise that he has received of life, life that conquers death. And that is our hope. That is the Christian hope. We're not in control. We're not in control of our lives. That should be obvious to all of us. But God is in control of our lives. And that's good news. That's good news. We're never going to be in control of our lives. We're never going to feel like we're in control of our lives. If we feel like we are in control of our lives, I assure you it is an illusion. But we can trust that God is in control. And so even when we don't understand what is going on or why things are happening, we can trust that God is in control. And we can trust that he loves us with a passion that we cannot even fathom, like we've been saying today. And the proof of that love is in Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. God loves us so much, so much. But is there a but? It's kind of a but. Imagine if you were sick and you just needed some incredibly rare herb or something to be cured. Um, I'm basically describing the plot of Asterix in Switzerland, by the way, if anybody's read that. Um, and somebody goes at great risk of their life to find that rare herb. And maybe they in fact die, but somebody who's with them brings that herb back and they bring it to you know, your doctor. He's like, thank you. And he's like, at the, at the death of my friend, I bring this to you. And the doctor makes the medicine and he mixes it up and then he, he, he says, okay, here it is, just drink this and you'll be fine. And you're like, no, I'm great. I'm super. Folks, we gotta drink the medicine. God wants to give us a gift. You will be fine if you accept that gift. That's my message to you today. We need to accept the gift of Jesus Christ. We need to accept that he died for us because we were dead. But through his death, by faith in him, we can live. Amen? Thanks, Ben. I'm to do a song. Here, I wonder if you could just stand with me while the band's coming up. I'm just going to pray for us. What I would love is for you to not go away, 
today and just kind of shrug this message off. Um, I would love it if you feel that you know, God is actually speaking something to you through today, whether it was through my message or through the worship or through what you saw here in the baptism. I would love it if you just came up for prayer at the end of the service. Just come and tell somebody. Because if God is working in your heart, that is the most important thing happening for you today. Okay? And maybe in your life. So, I want you to close your eyes. Just pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for the indescribable gift that is Jesus Christ. Dear Father, I pray that um, if you are speaking to people, I pray, Father, please give them the courage to come up after we sing this song and just get prayed for, Lord, because I know there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than your love. Lord God, I'm not in control of my life, but you are. And for that, I praise you.